When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 28, recording on Friday, November 15th. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, and I'm here with Jeff O'Neill, and we are the editors of BookRiot.com. Good morning, Jeff. I'm under the weather. Yeah, I heard. Yeah. Herbal tea? I know. It's uh, dire straits when I'm drinking herbal tea. I wish I could be crazy, you know, say I had whiskey in my coffee this morning or yeah. something, but it's just straight, you know, straight black good stuff. Well, I was trying to brew up Dayquil just <sighs> in, a, in a mug to see what you could do, but it doesn't taste very good. Breakfast There's a reason champions. they put those in gel caps. Uh, tastes like... Uh, aqueous death. Well, uh, thank you for soldiering through this morning. Oh, so my pleasure. I, we can talk know, about books, man. We get to talk about books and things that make us feel better. And uh, we got some follow-up. And one thing that would make someone feel better, if, if it's we're getting into Christmas holiday shopping time. Mm-hmm. And one thing for a reader on your list um, that would be an awesome one is Oyster, Our Mutual Crush, the Netflix for books that we've been talking about almost ad nauseum on the show, probably, to, to many of you's most, uh, chagrin, mm-hmm. uh, has announced that there are now gift subscriptions. So you can give someone a subscription to Oyster, and uh, I don't know what else to say about it, except that's yeah. cool. Then they'll have unlimited access to over 100,000 uh, e-books to read on their phone mm-hmm. uh, or their iPad or iPad device. No and Android soon yet. No soon Android an Android yet. device. They yeah. do. Uh, they, I think they recently hired an Android developer, yeah. so that's coming. But if you want to uh, give it as a gift for Christmas, probably safest for someone with an yes, iPad or an I would say somebody with an Apple device. But you can check that out at oysterbooks.com slash gifts. Uh, they don't pay us to say that. We no. just love them. No, I wish they did. Uh, I might give one of these. I got an idea for somebody for this. I'm not going to say because they may listen to the show. They may not. But, uh, Ooh. And now everyone who knows you who listens yeah, to like, the show yes. is like, am I getting that for Thank Christmas? Thank you. <laughs> uh, on, that same, uh, on that same tip, um, we're doing a gift show that will release over Thanksgiving weekend, mm-hmm. um, but we're going to record it next week. So you have a few more days to um, send us an email. If you have someone in your life that you'd like to buy a book for, but you're not sure what book would be best, send us an email, describe them, what they like, uh, why you're having a hard time buying for them. And then Rebecca and I are going to record a special show that's just all gift ideas around books, some related to these questions and some other things. And uh, we'll try to get to your questions. So uh, podcast at bookriot.com. Shoot us an email, let us know, and uh, we're looking forward to that. I think that's going to be a fun show. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think that'll be fun. Uh, I always like it when we schedule podcast recordings in the evenings. Yes. To a little book ride after dark, maybe some actual whiskey. (laughs) Put out a little Sinatra, have a martini. Uh, (laughs) I mean, if that's what it takes, man. That's right. Uh, We'll get get, uh, nice and uh, breezy for you. Okay, let's do our first sponsor, Fangasm. It's a book. Fangasm, and the subtitle is Supernatural Fangirls mm-hmm. uh, by Katherine Larson. It's nonfiction about two college professors who fell in love with the show Supernatural, uh, which was, it's still on the air, I believe, or maybe it's I, over. I think it is off the air. Off the air. Um, and they went deep into fandom for this show. And so they started, you know, they got, they became fans of the show. And then they not only got into the show, but they got into the people who were into the show. Um, so they started pulling together information, mostly because they were interested in it, but it turned into a book. And they scoured the internet for stories and pictures, and they went to conventions, and they even wrote some fanfic on the DL. Ooh, um, fanfic on the DL, <laughs> yes. Uh, so, and then part of it is, like, a deep dive into this world, but also kind of a meta-discourse on fandom about, like, why are, why are we doing this? Uh, is this, what, what, where is the line about being a fan? Um, what maybe is a sign of pathology? What is a sign of just having fun? Um, and they found that a lot of the fans were like them. They were grown professional women with careers and kids. Um, and something they were looking for was that engages their brain and their libido at the same time. So they got a little upstairs and a little downstairs going on <laughs> oh, with the show. You just said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's better than brains. I mean, come on. 
little upstairs, a little, little downstairs. downstairs. I'm never going to be the same. Now yeah, I, I know. You You're never going to go into a split level again. Um, <laughs> so Fangasm pulls back the curtain on the secret worlds of fans and famous alike, uh, revealing supernatural behind the scenes. And just, you know, also the other thing this book gets into is how much the cast and crew and the people who have been on the show know about what the fans are doing. Um, so if you are a fan of Supernatural, duh, this is a no-brainer. But if you're also into fandom um, and looking at the uh, complete nerd-outs people do about all kinds of shows, Supernatural being one that I didn't know there was a, a secret fandom about or not-so-secret fandom about, um, this is, would be an interesting uh, nonfiction title for you. So if there's someone in your life, this might be a good gift for someone who's a big fan of something, uh, whether it's... Like, what, are the big, what are the big nerddoms these days? There are Doctor Who people, uh, there are comics people, Lord of the Rings people, Harry Potter people. Um, are there other big ones, big fandoms? I think there's lots of Hunger Games stuff. Oh, is that true? Yeah, that makes sense. Um... Well, Thor and Loki and the Avengers. Yeah, Marvel. And I guess that falls into comics and movies. Yeah. But uh, this is Sherlock. like, I mean, what's interesting Sherlock about this has is a like, super big fandom. This is a mid-level show on a mid-level network. Like, mm -hmm. that's, I find that really interesting. Um, yeah, I think that's really fascinating. I'm glad that, yeah, I think it'll be interesting. And I'm kind of glad that this is a book that's, that's about something like that. That yeah. wasn't necessarily a huge cultural force that everyone, uh, had to pay attention to whether they liked it or not. This isn't about like twilight fandom, right? Exactly. Uh, but about, you know, something that maybe flew a little bit under the radar. Um, but there were still super passionate fans about that. And I love that look at like, there is a fan for everything. And thanks to the internet, mostly now you can connect with other people who are super nerdy about the things right. that you're super nerdy about. So uh, that's, and these, uh, these two women went into it. That's it. So that's Fangasm uh, by Catherine Larson. So check that out. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. And uh, speaking of big fandoms that lead to big money, mm -hmm. um, this actually is a story, I think, from last year that burbled up again on the internet last week, and we thought we'd just talk about it real quick for a second, is that J.K. Mm -hmm. Rowling, excuse me, Rowling, I can't get that in my head, <laughs> um, she was one of the richest, well, she still is one of the richest people in the world, but she was technically a billionaire. Um, but she gave away so much money, estimated to be about $160 million um, in charitable giving, bumped her down off the list of uh, the world's billionaires. Good job, J.K. Rowling. So there's not much else to say about that except good job, J.K. Maybe that's why she's doing these movies. She's like, you know what? I got to get that one B next to my name. Get back into that billionaire bracket. I got you know, to get up there. Uh, but that... That's a good job. And speaking of other wealthy people and publishing, uh, I, maybe I I'm thought this was a joke. The Again, segue. I was on you know heavy medication most of the day yesterday, but I can't believe this story. Uh, Derek Jeter, uh, the shortstop for the New York Yankees, uh, is going to be the publisher of an imprint with Simon and Schuster, Jeter Publishing. Uh, and I think that they'll start publishing books next year. But this came out; the news came out yesterday. The New York Times uh, issued the first big story about it. And this is Derek Jeter's plan for after he retires from baseball. He wants us all to know that he's going to continue playing baseball, but he's, yeah, I think it's smart to start thinking about what you're going to do after, uh, yeah. after, you know, after you quit the sport. I mean, he's only made a few hundred million dollars. You, you, you can't rely on that. You can't see that all the way to retirement. It's a heck of a lot cooler than like owning a car dealership. Or a, car, a chain of car washes in Southern Arizona or something. Yeah. Now the uh, you were on cold medicine, so I don't know how much you saw yesterday, but right. the snob factor was high. Oh, I can only imagine. <laughs> on the book internet. Uh, in response to this idea of Derek Jeter as a publisher, apparently this is something that he's wanted to do for a while, and his management agency um, approached several publishing houses um, about the possibility of this. And Simon and Schuster was approached in March, according to Louise Burke, who's the president of Gallery Books, which is a division of Simon and Schuster. Um, and that's the editorial team that will work with Jeter on his titles. But he's going to do uh, titles for adults and for kids. Yep. Uh, he wants to do, you know, sort of biographies, modern sports stuff. Uh, the first book is going to be, wait, where did the title oh, there's, go? It's in there. <laughs> A Derek Jeter Guide to Baseball. That's, well, that's not the title. That's a little on but, the nose, DJ. Right, Come on. That's, that's a little... Uh, but they point out in this piece that, you know, Derek Jeter has a lot of connections. Um, I'm sure that he knows a lot of people who have stories to tell whether or not they're capable of writing a good book is a, mm -hmm. is a different question. Um, but he certainly could... Uh, I, I don't doubt that he could curate an interesting list of people with stories to tell. Sure. Um, I Let's saw him see. get a little slagged on 
on Twitter yesterday for a comment about how he's interested in, he has an interest in content and all of the things that can be done uh, with content. I think, you know, some of publishing still bristles at the notion (laughs) that books are content. I don't get that. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I know, it's so weird. Let's see, the blurb in the Times, the, the paragraph says what it's going to be is, uh, the publishing imprint will include nonfiction books for adults, like biographies and titles on business and lifestyle, children's picture books, middle grade fiction, and books for children who are learning to read. A um, little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. Jeter suggests that the book enterprise might lead to other ways of presenting content like films or TV. So I see what he's doing. He's trying to go Magic Johnson, media mogul. Yeah, and, and this is a, a way to the, get on the, the ground floor and find the content to turn into TV shows. Mm-hmm. The phrase brand extensions appears here. They'll be looking oh. for brand extensions for books. Um, but, you know, that's what everybody yeah. is looking for. If you think publishers are not buying up novels, uh, especially stuff in YA, with mm-hmm. the idea that they could sell the screenplay or they could you know, sell the rights for a film or a TV, then you're, you're wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's, if... You want to get into the bigger market of TV and movies. This is not a bad way to go without having to break in cold this way. Mm-hmm. Um, you could, you know, if you get a good title that sells well, suddenly you have the rights and then you can either decide, you know, get backing to do it yourself or form a partnership with somebody else. Um, it's not dumb. Jeter is not dumb. I'll tell you that much. Um, so this is, I mean, I could see a pretty interesting line of sports related nonfiction, you know, coming yeah, out for of that. Sure. Um, the Derek Jeter four-hour baseball player do you think that's coming (laughs) Derek Jeter and Tim Ferriss (laughs) (laughs) that would be pretty good done that would be pretty Uh, good you know maybe Malcolm Gladwell will write a book of nerdy baseball statistics well you know trending or something um, we had we had Johnny Depp and we had was it Bourdain who has his own imprint now Bourdain has an imprint with Harper uh with Harper Collins um I think through Echo at Harper Collins that's that's pretty good I was thinking about that as maybe the best analog for this with a celebrity getting into publishing and a key difference is that you know Bourdain uh is a writer and has been Mm -hmm. a writer for a long time and so has an established uh track record uh as someone uh, who can write a good book, who can sell a book, um, mm-hmm. who does have a defined voice. Like I, I've been reading the galley of the first book that um, Bourdain is publishing. Oh, really? Um, yeah, by Roy Choi about um, about L.A. It's called L.A. Sun, and he is a he's a popular L.A. chef, and it's about life and culture in Los Angeles. But it feels exactly the way that I would expect a book and a voice that Anthony Bourdain selected to publish yeah. to feel. Um, the, I think maybe that's a missing piece here is that we don't really know what Derek Jeter's sensibility will be mm-hmm. um, as a publisher. We don't have a sense of him. whether it'll he's, actually he's, be his sensibility at all. Right. Yeah. yeah. We don't have a sense of him as a writer. Um, so there's maybe a missing link there, but he's certainly a big name. And if you're, if you're tapping into folks who like to read about sports, um, I, I can see that, you know, if somebody walking through a bookstore who sees that this is from Jeter publishing right. would trust that. Yeah. Well, so we're going to follow that. Um, let's go on for some more publishing news. So I don't know if you saw this. I saw this a day or two ago. I did not um, see this. This was, I think, some under-the-radar Amazon PR to counter the bad press they were getting for Larry Kirschbaum leading, leaving Amazon Publishing. We talked mm, about that a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago. Um, and there was a lot of, um, I don't know, not-so-under-the-radar cheering um, by the enemies of Amazon that their publishing arm didn't look to be doing very well. Are you saying that Amazon is not subtle? No, 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 I'm not saying I would would never say that. (laughs) Um, But they released some numbers about sales, which I don't think I've ever seen Amazon do, frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of it was to counter the claims. And frankly, yours truly made one of them that maybe their books just weren't selling that well. Um, And so they were going a different, different direction. So, um, Daphne Durham, who is stepping into the role of publisher for Amazon's adult trade, said that not only are they not, you know, tanking, but they're delighted with the sales of the units um, so far. And so they talked about a couple of the books I talked about were the, the Tim Ferriss book and the Penny Marshall book. Mm-hmm. Um, they said, My Mother Was Nuts by Penny Marshall, which was their first big book. So BookScan, which Nielsen's BookScan, which they say, Nielsen says captures 75 to 80% of print sales. Their numbers showed that that book sold 12,000 copies, right? That's what BookScan says, mm-hmm. which is a turd, right? I mean, that's for this kind of profile, that's, that's not very good. Yeah. But then Amazon says that total sales, including ebooks, are 120,000. 
Interesting. So, and that's a factor of 10 different. Um, so I don't know what to say about that, except that either, I, let's assume for a second that Amazon is telling the truth, I guess, right? I mean, yeah. they're not going to just give us bogus numbers, I don't think, right? Yeah, let's. I think if you unpack that, given the other the complicating piece that we talked about in that same show when Kirschbaum left Amazon is that a lot of bookstores were refused to sell uh, the print copies right. of these Amazon titles because like, why would Barnes and Noble want to sell books for Amazon? Why would an independent bookstore yep. want to sell books for Amazon? So I'm not surprised that, um, that these numbers are heavily, I guess would be heavily ebook. Right. Um, with or this print hydrogen, through Amazon, right? Or print through Amazon. Uh, and I don't know if BookScan captures that. Like my, uh, my understanding I is... I don't think they can. I don't think Amazon gives them those numbers. Yeah, BookScan captures... Which Stuff means they're bogus numbers, right? Because Amazon's like 38% of the... I mean, why but, would you... I mean, if you want to talk about a black box, we can God, talk no about kidding. how book sales numbers... I almost wonder if the, we shouldn't even have the book scan numbers. Like, they're so misleading, like... <laughs> Might as well have uh, just and a couple of X's on a box. Like in de- for an independent bookstore to have their sales count towards New York Times yeah. um, bestseller numbers, they have to like fill out paperwork. They have to somehow yeah, right. qualify. Then they have to routinely report the numbers. And there are still some, you know, like big independent bookstores uh, that are that are doing well. Particularly, in, I've been in some in smaller towns that uh, don't have computer mm-hmm. checkout systems right. yet. They don't have their inventory on computer and so they don't have a way to quickly tally up these things and they're also, you know, they're not online really, so they're not reporting to to New York Times numbers. There's a lot of there there's a lot of unknown yeah. stuff about how how books become bestsellers and what these numbers mean. That's really interesting to me um, that Amazon it, that factor of 10 <laughs> yeah. between right. what it what the sales looked like and what Amazon is saying the sales. So they released also actually a chart are, of that have a bunch of titles from Amazon with the book scan sales and then Amazon's reported sales. Mm-hmm. So our good friend, Tim Ferriss, book scan reported sales of 96,813 copies. Okay. And Amazon says is more than a quarter million. Hmm. Um, so the Penny Marshall book was 12,000, Uh, let's see what, if, so this other one, I don't know this book coming clean by Kimberly Ray Miller. Bookscan was 4,200, and then it was more than a factor of 10 through Amazon, 56,000 titles, wow. uh, copies through them. Um, let's see, Deepak Chopra's book, 2,500 through Bookscan, 34,000 through Amazon. Actually, the lower down the list you get in terms of sales, the, the difference between Bookscan and Amazon's numbers are crazier still. Like the one that's at the bottom of the list, The House of Rumor, which I think is a mystery title, Reports only 164 print copies through BookScan, um, but 6,500 copies through Amazon. So that's what, 50, 60 times mm-hmm. um, the number. So anyway, I, I guess that just complicates the picture about whether or not Amazon Publishing is doing great or not. Yeah, and there's... I just it's don't complicated. Know. I just and I'm don't looking know. at this note that Durham also noted that across the 14 Amazon publishing imprints, they will release 700 front list titles in 2014. Yep. Um, I don't know how many they released in 2013 that these numbers are taken from. Right. But are this they is cherry picking here, maybe. A right. Bit. Well, this is what, like 10 or 12 mm-hmm. titles where they're showing the discrepancy between book scan and total sales. And uh, if I were the person tasked with writing the press release that showed the discrepancy between book scan and total sales, you better bet that I would pick the ones also that yeah. showed the biggest discrepancies right. uh, and, and that you could spin into Amazon's favor. Mm-hmm. So what about the other like 680? Yeah. New books. Um, it, well, I was thinking about that too. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. And I think even if like the rest of the list was really tanking, even these are give us some sort of weird snapshot into what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like and I'm, I think it's interesting to look at these, particularly Timothy Ferris, who has this the, the huge discrepancy between ninety six thousand that BookScan reports and more than a quarter of a million that Amazon reports is the the one author on this list with a large and active online following. Mm-hmm. Um, Timothy Ferris knows how to reach his readers online and people do follow him and pay attention uh, to him. He's doing some new things. I saw earlier this week, he's going to curate. Um, I'll have to dig up a link for it. He's going to curate a line of audiobooks books um, with 
people that he likes. He's also started an online book club um, that he's gearing particularly towards men. Um, the first title is a book called Vagabonding, and you can find God. information online about really? why he's chosen that. He's trying a bunch of stuff. I don't I don't particularly like him, but I applaud his uh, no, openness I mean, to... No, yeah, I mean, yeah, me too, but the books for men, I mean, come on. Vagabonding, Jeff. Well, you know, Power men are, rush. Men are traditionally underserved a book club by for men. the book club. Power rush. It smells like testosterone yeah, and right. freedom. It smells like aluminum and jet fuel. Um, <laughs> At any rate, yeah. Uh, anyway, so that's nobody else on this list has that active following no. and uh, is doing their own publicity. And so I'm going to stand by my theory uh, that we discussed in the Kirschbaum show that one of the big problems with Amazon publishing is that they know how to market to customers, yep. but they don't know how to do publicity and awareness for their titles. They're not reaching out to bloggers. They are. I was wrong. I said they hadn't gotten New York Times review coverage. They have gotten that for some of the Amazon uh, published titles, but uh, Amazon, not good at the publicity thing, not get good mm -hmm. at getting people who write about books uh, to be aware of their titles and to to do coverage for them. This is my theory. Okay, I think I think that could still be right, um, but it was interesting to see a counter point yeah. to uh, what we were speculating on. Okay, let's do a little more insidery news stuff. Um, we haven't really covered the book deal part of the world at all, mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if people are interested. If you are, let us know, and if you aren't, let us know, and we can do more or less. It'd be hard to do less than zero, um, but we're going to do <laughs> one quick story now. Um, this was the big news uh, of the last week or so. Um, a debut novel was bought... Um, by a guy named, let's see, this stupid times. They don't give you his name. Garth Risk Hallberg. Garth Risk Hallberg, a 34 year old who has written for the New York Times Review and Book Review and The Million. So, too good uh, mm -hmm. bylines for him there. Um, he sold his 900 page debut novel for two million bucks. Oh boy. Last week. And there was a bidding war. It was a, a two bidding day war. bidding war yeah, with 10 publishers. Uh, so, so it sold to Knopf. Mm -hmm. It looks like. Um, and if, if I remember, it is set in the 70s. This, at, is, this has you written all over. I know. It's like a it, 70s it, yeah. book set and it's in New set York. in New York about an actual fire that happened. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, that's all we really know about it. The, the, the other side of the story, actually, though, we should know, is that Scott, I think it was Scott Rudin, bought the rights to the book before the book had a publishing deal. Hmm. For the, to make a movie or TV show out of it. So, um, so that's not to say it will be made into it because Hollywood and optioning and, and media is a, a complicated world. But I want, some of this was amped up by the, the specter of a, a movie coming down the road, mm -hmm. um, which will pump up sales. But um, that's a big deal. That is a yeah. big deal. Publishers who had a copy of the manuscript, uh, this piece says, uh, reported that they could concentrate on nothing else while they were trying to finish yeah. reading it. They compared it to work by Michael Shabin and Thomas Pynchon. And a 900-page debut novel, like that's, that is that is not a risk that publishers take very often. It's hard enough to sell an average-length debut yep. novel to, to readers who've never heard of this writer before. So they've got to really believe in it. Um, the Luminaries by Eleanor Catton, which just won the Booker Prize, is eight. Is what like eight hundred pages? Eight hundred and thirty-five. The Goldfinch, seven seventy-one. Uh, the Art of Fielding by Chad Harbach, which is maybe the most recent yep. analog for this, was I think about six hundred pages. Yeah. Um, and he made I think his advance was about a million dollars for that. And Little Brown, his publisher released an ebook about um, the art of the bestseller um, before the book had even come out about making, you know, making a debut, a 600 page debut novel that you paid a million dollars for into a bestseller. And you better believe they're going to do everything they can <laughs> to turn city on fire into a bestseller now that they've spent this money on it. But um, I also saw, I think it was Sarah Weinman, who's a, a great reporter in publishing, tweeted earlier this week that the I think maybe the last book that got a, a big novel that got a two million dollar advance was um, The Historian by Elizabeth Costova. Uh. Which yeah. is sort of a contemporary it's vampire. Been a few years, yeah. Yeah, it's been maybe a, a, about a decade yeah. um, since that came did out. Did you read Close that? I did read it. Um, I never did. Uh, not a, that it means anything. I'm just it, it was long enough ago that yeah. I, I I remember enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but really left a mark, I can tell. She got a she got a two million dollar advance for that and it has earned out. She has earned out her advance. Mm. There's always speculation yep. when somebody gets Even this much. A movie. 
this much money for a debut novel, right? Um, that the other will part be. of the story that's interesting is um, he's 34-year-old, lives in Brooklyn with a couple of kids. I'm looking in the mirror here, of I guess. Of course he yeah. is. But he, I mean, he had a real job, and he would write 5.30 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. before going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those of you out there working on a big book or a book at all, I don't know if that should inspire you or not, but someone did it. I don't know yeah, if you can hope can for two happen. million dollars, but it can happen. So I mean, that's also that's a story we hear a lot. When yep. Twilight came out, Stephanie Meyer talked about like getting up early in the morning and and writing her books uh, while her kids were still asleep, or uh, you know working on them while they were at swim practice. Like this, cramming your writing life into the like nooks and crannies in between your day job and your home life uh, is a thing that that writers talk about a lot and is one of those realities since very few people are making a living, a full-time living publishing literary fiction in particular, but it can happen. Uh, good job. Garth risk Hallberg. Yep. It's a good superhero name. And I'll be looking for that one, boy. You know, I will be, you know what? 900 pages from five thirty to eight thirty must've taken a while. Mm-hmm. I'd be interested to hear how much. Uh... Yeah. Uh, I don't know if random house and cannot will take that same tack that little Brown took and, start talking about how they've made a bestseller before the book is published. But it will be interesting uh, to get this guy's interviews as the book comes out and to hear about what that was like. Someone's someone's going to ask him, how long did it take you to write yep. 900? Oh, for sure. <laughs> 900 good pages, hopefully, uh, between 5.30 and 8.30 in the morning. That's a lot of yeah. early mornings. But interesting, interesting, interesting stuff. stuff. Uh, speaking of books you still can't buy... Um, E.L. James in an interview with Entertainment Weekly this week, they're really asking about the adaptation of the film, and she's nervous about it. She says, I'm terrified about the adaptation <laughs> and everything like that. Uh, and the interview so asked, are the rest of us. Yeah, right. Uh, and in the interview asked if she was writing another book. She said she was. Um, but she would not say the timeline for publishing it or what it's about, except that the interviewer said, is there any, pub- any sex in it? And here is E.L. James' answer. No. Pause. Actually, that's not true, but it's very different than 50. So a couple of things we learned there. One, that ELJ refers to it as 50, which I like. Uh, and second, is The that only thing that would be better is if she referred to it as Shades, 50. shades, <laughs> shades. Now I want 50 Shades fanfic called, <laughs> yeah. or like unfanfic called Throwing Shades. Throwing Shades, um, where it's just uh, pictures of us throwing the book at things. Um, <laughs> anyway, where was I? Who am I? What are we doing again? E.L. James. E. L. James. He's written so, another book. So it sounds like it's not a it's not an erotic novel, right? Like, based on that answer, it doesn't sound like it's an erotic novel. Maybe it has some sex in it, but so does mm-hmm. a lot of books. So, yeah, I don't know what to make of that. I think it's interesting. I'm fascinated to see what she's going to do next. Um, both, you know, in a, for a lot of different reasons and how it's re- received. If people have any loyalty to her as a name, or if it's the series itself, um, what her own presumably more original kind of work would look like. Um, anything else about that other than uh, Well, we don't it's... know if it's going to be published or not. Oh, she says right. that she not has written soon, the book yeah. and the interviewer asks, are you going to publish it? And she's, uh, she also says, I don't know. So there's, that's interesting too. Mm. It's, she's, she's not on the hook with a publisher to finish another novel. That's a thing that does happen frequently when books become bestsellers. Your publisher signs you up for your next, you know, one or two or three novels, and then you have to turn them in and and sell those books, or they at least get right of first refusal on them. So uh, Random House, I guess, is has not said that they will take this, uh, even though they're they're the ones that uh, pulled her out of self-publishing. And um, why wouldn't they? Yeah, you'd. I think, you know, you got to be seeing the Scrooge McDuck piles of money, Uh, right? Um, and the PR storm that, that could come from another E.L. James yeah. book. It's going to be interesting to follow. Um, hmm. I have yeah. no idea what this book no will be about. Idea. I will totally read it in service <laughs> of actually knowing what yes, it's about. Yes, good idea. Before we uh, <laughs> uh, judge it at all. In more book-related movie news, Yeah, uh, Lionsgate Films is considering, uh, they're in talks, they're not just considering, now they're actually in talks, which I guess is a, a next <laughs> that's step. A, that's one more uh, in uh, First we were firm. thinking about yeah. it, and now we are talking about it, uh, to do Hunger Games, a Hunger Games theme park. I just don't know. <laughs> I understand why they would want to, uh-huh. because it's popular, but I don't know 
what this entails. Uh, my husband, Bob, was like, I don't know, the feats of strength. <laughs> I was like, Wait well, a minute. That's, I think that's you crossed Festivus, the streams. Honey. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you could, I guess you could maybe have like a an archery station and a wall climbing station well, and then know, a, like how fast can you run through the woods while a ball of fire chases we, you station I, aren't all theme parks are essentially like roller coasters and funnel cakes right so you just slap well, a you know a cat here's the katniss coaster or something <laughs> right i guess i mean i don't know i, I think you people are making what, too like big a, of a deal about like how weird this is like there disney world is a thing and that's about cartoon animals like, let's just, I don't know. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. I'm cynical well, but here, but like. There's some connection. Like the Dumbo ride, you sit in an elephant thing that flies through the air, the way that Dumbo Well, sure. And there's also a huge train in Hunger Games that you could take around the park. Like they take all through the districts in Hunger Games. Like there's some, mm-hmm. there's some stuff there. Yeah, uh, anyway. I don't know. We were pretty, we were pretty negative on the notion of a Hunger Games summer camp when that well, came see, about that is a couple like, months you, ago. Summer camp, you're actually supposed to do stuff. This is you just go buy a ticket and ride on rides for a couple hours. That's a, <laughs> that's a different kind of deal. You uh, could buy capes with little fire things at the bottom yeah, of them. Yeah, that's true. Um, I guess I was surprised. Like, I'm surprised Hunger Games is a big enough deal to be a theme park. Like, theme park is like, in terms of book franchises that's become a theme park, it's only Harry Potter, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's one in Florida. And I don't even know if it's that popular or not. Frankly, I, and I don't have any yeah, idea. Yeah, you know that book, the series, the Harry Potter series is older. It's better established. There's um, four more books it, in it. Four, yeah, and it for sure sold more. Yeah. Um, there's there are multiple generations of readers now yeah. that love Harry Potter. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see if this happens. Right. Uh, for me, this is just another piece in the really interesting approaches to spinning the hunger games out into merchandise you like, saw the subway sandwiches Did yeah you see those? there's these subway sandwiches for the hunger games uh, there's i don't a whole, get that one i don't like get. there's a whole makeup line um for the hunger games and it's mostly about you know the, the people in the capital who have crazy right makeup uh and who have the financial means to wear crazy makeup and like give themselves insane uh plastic surgeries right. and all and you know purchase the high fashions um I think we have a contributor at Book Riot working on a piece about like how, you know, this book is mostly, these books are mostly about like a revolution that occurs right. uh, with, with the uprising of the poor districts. Um, but they're pulling out the glamorous pieces because those are the things that are easy to, to tie on and sell as related products. It's, it's interesting to watch this happen. It um, is. It's fascinating to see it become, you know, part of the big money Hollywood entertainment uh community the other thing is jennifer lawrence is a huge star now i mean she is she's a huge star um and so some of that is going on there like i don't know usually when a new like comic book comes out comic movie comes out there will be a new six flags like batman ride right Mm -hmm. so that would be a little more expected like there's the um you know the the mockingbird drop or something at six flags over texas um, where it's branded and they get some money and some promotional dollars out of it. Flight of the Mockingjay. Flight, Flight of the Mockingjay, something like that. Uh, so to, for a whole theme park, it is pretty impressive. Um, I'd be shocked if this actually – I'd be shocked if this Can actually, we go on a field trip when it does? I'd love to. I'm terrible at roller coasters. So bad. We'll do a – are you really? Yeah, I get motion sick. I like to mm. go on them, but it's me wobbly need and maybe barfing afterward. That's no fun. We can do a live podcast from oh, yeah, the Hunger great. Games theme park. Oh, yeah, in my weakest moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to – I'll pack you full of uh, <laughs> funnel cake and cotton candy, and then we'll go on Flight of the Mockingjay. Oh, It'll be great. God. Right, when I'm, right when I'm done eating at uh, Peter's Bakery, uh, I'll be barfing it all up. Oh, afterwards. there it is. There it is. All right, let's do a sponsor. We got Swoon Reads. They are back this week. I think this is the third time we've had Swoon Reads so. uh, sponsor the show. That You can find them at swoonreads.com. And Swoon Reads is a revolutionary new crowdsourced romance imprint that's dedicated to publishing books that capture the intensity and the passion of teen love. Uh, it's, a, it's a place for undiscovered writers to connect with avid romance readers and uh, for them to come together and make books that they love happen. Uh, so more than just being a publishing imprint, Swoon Reads is about being a community where the members are involved in every step of the publishing process. Uh, So if you are a, a romance writer, if you're working on a story about teen love, 
you can put your manuscript up on Swoon Reads and get feedback and editorial notes and even like cover designs and advice on marketing, all, all sorts of pieces of the road to publishing and get feedback from readers, you know, not just publishing people, uh, but people who uh, avidly read romance and who want to be involved in that process. Um, Swoon Reads was made by the Macmillan Children's Publishing Group, uh, by the Fywell and Friends imprint there. Uh, who are, you know, friends of the show and we are uh, really appreciative to have them sponsoring, but you can check it out at swoonreads.com. Uh, if you have a romance manuscript that you're working on, you might upload it there and get some feedback. And if you love to read romance, as we know so many of you do, because uh, the romance community online is without a doubt, one of the most vibrant reading communities, um, that might be a great place to go and discover new writers. You can say you, uh, you knew them before they became big. Yeah. And influence some of the stories, give notes yeah, and of, uh, help pick covers and all parts of the process. Also, yeah, you can be involved in publishing in a way that uh, that readers have never been able to be involved before. I think it's pretty cool to see publishers trying this out, and I like that uh, Swoon Reads connects the writers with readers, actual readers who mm -hmm. will want your books. It's a cool. Strangely uh, a enough, cool you might place. try that. Right. Imagine that. <laughs> Thinking about uh, what will make readers happy. And their tagline is fall in love with falling in love. Aww. So thanks to Swoon Reads for sponsoring. You can visit them at swoonreads.com. Uh, and if you do, if you get involved over there, shoot us an email at podcast at bookriot.com and let us know. Great. Thank you, Swoon Reads, for sponsoring the show. We got two heroes of the week this week. We have three heroes of what? the week. Three, man. Can we have, can we, let me check the, our, let me check. The, the universe one. knew that uh, we had had so many bad jobs. Yeah, you know what? Lately. We can pick as many as we want. I just checked our bylaws. Oh, good. Okay. And we have unlimited access to heroes <laughs> of the week. Uh, the first is Morgan Weiss, who uh, you found this story earlier this week. Yeah. Went on a, uh, she did an Indiegogo campaign, which is crowdfunding like Kickstarter, um, and she drove 18,000 miles mm. through 48 states. That's all of the ones that are not Alaska and Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> she spent more than three months on the road, and she visited um, 49 independent bookstores and photographed wow. them. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. And I can't for the life of me figure out which state got two bookstores. I'm looking at the list here and I can't figure it out. Anyway, hmm. well, some state got two bookstores. I, I can't quite see where it was. She um, went to Rainy Day Books in, she did, our, uh, in our, in our, our hometown. Home away from home, Kansas City. Uh, she uh, went to Word, Word in Brooklyn. Friend of the show, friend of the site. Mm -hmm. Word. Let's see. Other ones we've been to here? Uh, I'm looking. She came to The Fountain here in Richmond. Oh, great. Which yeah, is my yeah. local. Politics and Prose in D.C. Uh, this, this is an awesome list. It's a list. good list. Good list. Uh, let's see. Elliot oh, Bay I didn't. Washington. There's a bookstore called Moby Dickens in New Mexico. How awesome That's is that? That's super clever. So we'll put a uh, link to, the, to her site in the show, and you can go see the photograph she took of each one um, and a, a little story about her trip to it. So Moby Dickens, mm -hmm. this is too cute. Their sign is uh, Moby Dick with a little, like, uh, top hat. And it. no state got... Two bookstores. It's that Washington D.C. got a oh, mention. Oh, right. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, sure. So good job, Morgan Weiss. We think you're super cool. We we do uh, think you're super cool. That's an awesome project to follow. Since we're talking about indie bookstores, we'll move on to our other big hero of the week, Sherman Alexi, uh, who you know is an author that many of you may may know and mm -hmm. love. He is an avid supporter of independent booksellers and has been outspoken about this for the extent of his career. Um, he said you know that he owes his career in many ways to the word mm -hmm. of mouth and hand selling of indie bookstores. And so uh, a couple of months ago, he put out a call saying that uh, he thought it would be great if on November 30th, which is Small Business Saturday, which is sort of local shopping's answer to Black Friday mm -hmm. uh, after Thanksgiving, if it would be great if authors would go be guest booksellers at their local independent bookstores in their community. Um, and a bunch of authors thought that was a great idea. So they contacted indie bookstores and indie bookstores contacted them. And now you can go to indiebound.org slash indies hyphen first. We'll just drop that link uh, mm -hmm. in the show notes. And you can see an interactive map of which indie bookstores will have authors as guest booksellers on November 30th and uh, who those guest booksellers will be. This is fun. It's really cool. Um, uh, I, w I spent more time than I'd like to admit uh, perusing this. Mm -hmm. um, so just a couple of highlights. So if you are in Portland, Oregon, and you go to Broadway Books... One Miss Cheryl Strait will Ooh. be there. How do you like that? Uh, I would love see. to have gonna... Cheryl Strait hand sell a book that's to right. me. And then let's see. If you go to our own beloved word, 
mm-hmm. in uh, Brooklyn. Hold on, let me pull that up. The map is cool, except if you're like trying to go specifically to one bookstore. Yeah. Um, give me a second here. Uh, I think Jamie Attenberg is going to be mm-hmm. over there. And hold on. Uh, so you can go to this map and you zoom in and you click on the little orange circle um, for the bookstore and you can see these books, the uh, authors that are going to be there. So yeah, word. Uh, Emma Straub, Jamie mm-hmm. Attenberg, Michael, Amy Sheeran, Jennifer Armstrong, Sarah McCary, Susan Callahan, and Tim Amara. Nice. At word, let's see. Um, a lot of names I don't know. A lot of names I do know. Uh, Justin Torres will be at Greenlight. Cool. Uh, if you're in, name. if you're in St. Louis, you can go to Left Bank Books, which is a, a, one of the oldest independent bookstores in the country, and it's a really. Oh, beautiful. is that true? It is. I've uh, my husband grew up there, and I've searched out all of the St. Louis indies on trips. Um, Left Bank Books has been open for something like ninety years. Yeah. Um, it's a really beautiful location, and they will have Ridley Pearson, uh, Curtis Sittenfeld, who wrote oh, Prep, nice, and American Wife, and has a new novel out called Sisterland. She lives in St. Louis. Uh, those are fun books, and those would be great uh, for the holidays too. So maybe you can buy a Curtis Sittenfeld book and have her sign it, and then recommend something oh, else very to cool. you. Uh, who else? Who else? This is so cool. I'm now. I'm going to get yeah, lost. Yeah, I know. So at Politics and Prose, you can go Elliot Holt, mm-hmm. uh, Peter Baker, Will Haygood, and Mary Kay. Zuraveef, which I have no idea how to say her last name. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but anyway, spend some time with that. You can go find your local if you're going to be traveling for Thanksgiving, because that's the oh, day yeah. after Thanksgiving. Um, you might be able to find uh, uh, someone to go have them hand sell you something. And if you do go talk to somebody and they hand sell you a book, let us know what it was. Yes, we, we, we would love we to We definitely know. want to know this. Um, let's see. Anybody else that I know? Uh, see, now we're just clicking around on stuff. That's, yes. that's good radio. <laughs> that's good radio just to click around stuff on the, the internet sound and of try two to find stuff. <laughs> just clicking around on the internet. <laughs> so man. that's November 30th. And I, I guess there'll be some sort of sign. I don't know if you ask for the author. I don't know if they'll just be wandering around. I have no idea. Um, but go find out. Go find out what's going yeah, on. Yeah, I there. wish that there were a big like TV campaign behind yeah. this that that was like, hey, on November thirtieth, you can go, you know, find out where your uh, where your local indie bookstore is and who the author and is. And I think they're will... still signing people up. They're going to be signing people up probably till the day of. Like they if you are. Come if down. you are listening to this and you are oh, an, an author, author yeah, for sure, you might want to call your local independent bookstore, um, particularly if they have been friends to you in yeah. the process of selling your book and see. Uh, if they're up for having you be, or a guest if you a yourself bookseller. are traveling, see if there is a bookstore around where you will be for the holiday. Um, I'm sure that would uh, be most welcome. It'll also get you out of cleaning up after Thanksgiving the day after. You'll have something. Yeah, I got to go sell some <laughs> books. I'll see you guys later. Yeah, it would be it would be fun, you know, uh, since we're going to do our gift show and you can ask us um, books that you should be That's right. buying for people in your life. You know, we're I think we're good at that game, but it, it's more exciting to be able to find an author <laughs> that you like. That's right. Uh, and tell them about uh, what you're reading or what your friends read and get their own recommendations. Uh, I'm totally buying a plane ticket to Portland in my head right now and going right. to talk to Cheryl Street. Uh, Portland's great in November, too. Maybe next year we should hand sell books at a bookstore. November. That 30th. would be great. It I would, would do it. Uh, just, it would just be James Salter novels. That's all you get. <laughs> all right, so we've got two heroes. Mm-hmm. We're on to our third hero. Do you want to do it? Or you want me to do it? You do this one, man. Alec Baldwin donated $1 million to the East Hampton Library for a new children's edition on behalf of he and his family. The $1 million donation will be used to underwrite the completion of the Baldwin Family Lecture Room in the new edition, and the space will be used for children's programs, film screenings, poetry readings, lectures, author, and book events. So it's been part of a $6.2 million project. This will bring it up to $5.7 million. So they got half a million dollars to go. Um, and here's what Baldwin said. You want to put your money on winners? And they're doing a great job. It sounds like he's being a character from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. <laughs> <laughs> he's fought, Jack Donaghy. They fought, yeah, they fought hard to make this happen, and they prevailed. The only obstacle was money. I'm happy to help provide what I could. So a million bucks from the Baldwin family to the East Hampton Library. So that's a good job. 
What else Good can you job, say? Alec Baldwin. Yeah, I think that's it, it. It's cool. Alec Baldwin in my head is just forever his character from 30 Rock. And I am seeing him being like, Lemon, this is a smart investment. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Have you ever seen Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross? The movie? <laughs> many, many. I am married to a financial oh, advisor. I, was say, I have seen all of those. Because I was going to say, I almost feel like Jack Donaghy is like a caricature or like a parody of his character in Glengarry Glen Ross, like they're related somehow. I, I can never Ooh. really figure that out. So that wants to be a Tumblr. Next next time I get around to writing a master's thesis on TV, I'll do something <laughs> about that. The parallels between <laughs> yeah, Glengarry right. Glen Ross and Thirty Rock. Free idea if you're out there looking for uh, for something to write your master's. Can I ask thesis. you one question about this story? Sure. Can I ask you one question? Do it. A one million dollar lecture room. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Look, I want the libraries to have everything they want, but I don't know, man. I, I, guess, I guess I'm not going to begrudge anyone who wants to give their money to a library. I guess I'm a little surprised it's for a lecture space. Um, well, in East Hampton, it's not wealthy, exactly yeah. hurting for financial resources. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this is good, and I'm glad he did it. Uh, I just was wondering to myself. Um, I guess what it does is make the library more of an event space. Than mm-hmm. just books, which is good. I think that's actually good to make a well, library multi-purpose in that the regard. The Hamptons do have a surprisingly literary culture. They have Book Hampton is a, a yeah. huge indie bookstore. Well, a lot of writers that, live out there. Do, or vacation yeah, that does a there. lot of events. Um, I was talking to a writer friend this summer who just mentioned casually, like, "Oh yeah," and I was in the Hamptons and uh, bumped into James Salter by you know at a party, <laughs> standing and like that's the kind of thing that that happens there. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe the million dollars could be better spent um in a you know in a community whose library needs help and doesn't just need a a fancy lecture room but people invest in their own communities and you know the baldwins invested in this one yeah yep okay all right but still a good job (laughs) i don't want to poop all over alec baldwin's million dollar no i'm trying not to i'm trying not to i I really wanted more to get to event space community hub kind of thing but okay um good we can we can put a little poop on it too if we want to (laughs) New books? Just a little poop. <laughs> just put a little poop Just on. a little, just a little. Yeah. New books. New books. New books. Uh, this is, man, just one of my favorite books of the year, which seems to be happening a lot lately. You given... have a lot of favorite books of the year all of a sudden. I you do. You got a little favorite book fragmentation it's, from you. It is the season of, of the favorite books. Uh, <laughs> this is a nonfiction book. It's called Anything That Moves, Renegade Chefs, Fearless Eaters, and the Making of a New American Food Culture by Dana Goodyear. Uh, Dana Goodyear... Super interesting lady. She is a poet. She writes for The New Yorker. And now she's sort of going Mary Roach immersive journalism on American food culture. Okay. Uh, So it's about, I think I briefly mentioned this book when you were talking about Provence 1970. Right. Um, it's about sort of how we got to this place that we're in now, where being a person who loves food is often equated with being somebody who will try anything mm-hmm. uh, and who will eat crazy stuff. And so she sort of dives back into uh, how did this happen? Who were the chefs that that first started pushing the boundaries in the last few decades and, and particularly in the last um, handful of years who started encouraging their customers to try uh, different and interesting and challenging foods? Uh, we get like behind the scenes looks at the guys who smuggle caviar into <laughs> Las Vegas restaurants. Nice. Um, we go on, uh, we spend a lot of time with a Los Angeles food writer who um, was one of the first people to start writing and celebrating weird food um, in, in uh, restaurant reviews. And he really shaped uh, Los Angeles eating culture and then in a larger sense, American eating culture. Th- it, this book is so much fun. Uh, and it's also really gross and horrifying in places. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really super interesting. Um, she she goes to like the raw milk movement to an off the grid grocery store um, in California that uh, like should not exist and that the FDA keeps trying to shut down. Like legally, it shouldn't exist, um, but it manages to exist and to sell um entirely unprocessed foods. Right. Uh, is this dangerous? Is it revolutionary? What's in between? She talks about the freegan movement, um, people who attempt to eat vegan um, entirely by uh, dumpster diving, essentially, and uh, getting their refuse uh, from restaurants and grocery stores. It's like a little bit of all of the pieces of what's going <laughs> on in eating culture. Right. 
right now and she she just goes there she she is not content to ask other people about their experiences she goes and tries the things even the ones that she's afraid of um i thought it was gutsy it's really fun if you if you care about uh, food in that way if you're interested in eating culture um, if somebody in your life has been reading like all of anthony bourdain and needs mm-hmm. something else to, to do now i would pick up anything that moves by dana goodyear it's uh, it's terrific awesome um yeah that's great and uh out also this week is 10 years in the tub by nick hornby which by <laughs> the way like that's my life goal nick hornby. <laughs> <laughs> think of the prunage <laughs> i know <laughs> um, but for the last 10 years nick hornby has written a column for McSweeney's magazine called Stuff I've Been Reading. And uh, in every column, he shows books that he bought and books that he read. And he just discusses sort of his life and his reading life. And it's this very you know quirky, idiosyncratic thing that most reading lives are. And Nick Hornby mm. doesn't make he doesn't make any efforts to make it appear anything other than a look at one guy's reading habits. Um, and so, Ten Years in the Tub is a is the most recent collection of those columns. I bet that's and, good. I yeah, bet that's I read good. the the one before it. I can't remember what it was called. Um, but every year or so, he puts out a collection of this these stuff I've been reading columns and talk about you know sort of like vicarious book porn Mm. Uh, you don't see you know you don't see the titles but it's really interesting to see like this week he bought these five books but he read these other four books or what happens when you buy the book that you can't wait and so you buy it and then you read it immediately um and he you know sometimes is reading dickens and sometimes he's reading contemporary stuff and sometimes they intersect in interesting and and fun ways just a great voice i think nick hornby is delightful and he's a fun voice to spend hours of your reading life with not to mention what it will do to your tbr list oh yeah that's that's a bad story there i've got one <laughs> off the oh, shelf good. uh russell banks has a new short story collection out this week called the permanent member of the family so for russell bank Banks fans out there, that's one mm-hmm. I had my eye on and maybe we'll read at some point. Who knows? Um, I don't keep a to-be-read list, as Rebecca well knows, so it's always what's coming up next. But this is one uh, that when I'm looking for my next probably short story collection, this would be the next one I would read. But uh, Russell Banks, you know, one of the more famous writers out there. Um, I don't think it has a, I don't think it has a um, particular theme or uh, linkage of any kind, but, um, you know, it's one of the one of his you know his humor and beauty and some violence thrown in um permanent member of the family also out this week I uh, have never read Russell Banks Oh really hmm. to whom would you compare him mm, boy that's <sighs> you know um i'd say maybe a little it's if you go move towards literary fiction from Elmore Leonard okay do you got me Sort of. A little less crimey, a little okay. less dialogue pulpy. But gritty. But still can be pretty gritty and dark. Um, so Affliction, do you remember that movie with Nick Nolte that came oh, out a yeah. while ago? Mm-hmm. That's based on a Russell Banks novel. Okay. Um, that's a pretty good indication. Um, if if you want one to start, any of you out there, uh, I would start with Cloud Splitter. That's my favorite one. That's intriguing. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's about the surviving son of America's most famous and still controversial political terrorist and martyr, John Brown. Oh, John Brown, man. The last uh, surviving son of John Brown. So anyway, uh, that's Russell Banks. Uh, I guess those are new. Oh, you, wait. Sorry. <laughs> one one other thing. I, it's, we don't want to officially authorize this, but the next book in the Mitch album, uh, whatever you want to call it. Pantheon? Corpus. <laughs> Money Train. Oeuvre. 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 It came out this week. And oh man, does it sound it cheesy. Called, what's it called? The First Phone uh, Call from first Heaven? First Phone Call from Heaven? Yeah. The First Phone Call from Heaven. I have a story about heaven. this book. Oh, please tell it. <laughs> sort of a tangential yeah, yeah. story. But this is the thing I wanted to talk about on the show because it's a, a really cool idea. Um, yeah. An author named Jonathan Miles came to Richmond last week to the Fountain Bookstore here. That's your boy. That's the book you're reading now. I just finished it. I read 300 pages of this book in one day, which oh, is a thing that I don't do very often. Nice. That's Jonathan what Miles. Not, what not? It's what not. Yeah. yeah it, um, 
if you are looking for a thing to get lost in, it's, uh, and you like, I, I texted Jeff and said, this, this book is really depressing in an awesome way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's What Not by Jonathan Miles. And he was on tour uh, here in Richmond last week. And after the event, I went out um, with him and the owner of the bookstore, who, who's a friend of mine and a fellow Book Riot contributor, Amanda Nelson. And he has this book game that he likes to play. And he all he would tell us about it before we were uh, going out to the bar was that we needed to grab a bag full of, you know, sort of pulpy books and like really commercial fiction. So we had a bag of thrillers and romance novels and um, this Mitch album book. And the way that you play this game, if you're looking uh, to have some fun at your next dinner party or your like nerdy <laughs> Holiday, friend. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. Out, yeah, this if is, you're having I'm a Friendsgiving be... with uh, nerdy oh, book people, yes. this would be an excellent game for I'm that. I'm going to force this game on everyone. I know it's so much fun. <laughs> so you pull, you, you take a, one of these random books uh, out of your bag, something hopefully very um, very pulpy. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you read the synopsis of the book, you know, from the back jacket out loud to the whole table. Um, one person leaves the table with the book and they write down the actual first line of the book on a piece of paper. While they're away, everyone else at the table makes up a first line for the book, um, writes it down, signs their name to their piece of paper, you know, fold it up, put it back. Uh, the person comes back to the table they collect the um, the first lines and then they mix them up and they read them all out loud, deadpan. So that one person, you know, who's re- who's doing the reading knows what the actual first line of the book is. Um, but they read all of the possible first lines and then you go around the table and you have to say which one you think is the actual first line. Mm-hmm. So if you guess the first line that's for real, you earn a point. But if someone else guesses that the line you wrote is the actual first line, you earn two points. That does sound like fun. Uh, and we did uh, we did this. What do you with play? Do five hundred? Nice long. <laughs> you uh, you you play until the bourbon runs out. Ah, uh, there you go. Uh, but we we had fun doing this with some romance novels and with this new Mitch album, first phone call from heaven. And our very own Amanda Nelson tricked the whole table into thinking that her line was <laughs> the actual first line. <laughs> That sounds like fun. So if any of you know the game Balderdash, it sounds like the game Balderdash, except Balderdash is um, they use a dictionary uh, in words when you Mm. supply the definition. But this is first lines, which sounds like actually maybe a little bit more fun than Balderdash. And we should call it first lines. Johnny Miles just called it the book game. And I was like, what is the book game? And he kept going, do you know the book game? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know the book game. Um, (laughs) So we'll call it first lines. Um, So yeah, that sounds like fun. But the Mitch album book, for those of you who are maybe interested, but will never pick it up. Basically, uh, one day, um, all the phones in a small northern town of Coldwater, Michigan, start ringing, but the people calling are all dead, and they talk about heaven and how they're all safe and happy. And then it sort of becomes a big national sensation, and they try to decide whether or not it was a hoax or if it was real and the fallout from all that. So your expected Albamian cheese (laughs) factor. Not to poop on Mitch Album, but to poop on him a little bit. If you need something to buy, like for your grandma or yeah. your mother-in-law for Christmas, this would be great. <laughs> and if you love Mitch Album, I'm really sorry. Well, you know, we all have our things. We do. But uh, that also, I mean, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you see it, will probably sell more than all the other books we talked about combined. And it's smart of them to put it out this time of year. I know. It's, that's right. It's, it's, I feel like, you know, remember that was that Malcolm Gladwell title generator? Did you see yeah. that thing? Yes. We need a Mitch Album title generator, like a synopsis generator. Someone do that, please. Tuesdays with your one hour in heaven or something like that. Uh, that's basically would be it. Well, I think that's our show. I mean, what better note to end I know, on? right? With complete cynicism and snarkiness. But you've Welcome got a new to game club, to play folks. this weekend. You did learn a new game. That's right. Learn a new game. Um, I'm Jeff O'Neill. You can find me on Twitter at Reading Ape. She is Rebecca Shinsky, and you can find her at Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. You can let us both know about whatever's going on in your book life, uh, podcast at bookriot.com. We especially want to know if you've got a book-buying situation you need some help with. Uh, what else, Rebecca? You can find us online, of course, at bookriot.com, on Twitter at bookriot, facebook.com slash bookriot. We do uh, different things all over our social media. And if you are looking for a gift to give yourself this holiday season, you might consider subscribing to our new quarterly box uh, for 50 bucks once a quarter. You'll get a box of uh, books and other bookish stuff that we love, that we think you'll love too. Uh, It's a surprise what's in the box, but the contents will be uh, over $50 in retail value 
And I can tell you, I've been working with the author uh, from the book that we've picked for this first box. And the author wrote a bunch of exclusive handwritten post-it notes that will come in your book that give you insights uh, into the process of writing the book, sort of behind the scenes stuff about the story. There will be bonus content to unlock at bookriot.com. We're really excited about this. We've sold almost, I think almost 600 readers have signed Mm. up for it so far. um, We've got another couple of weeks open in the subscription period. Uh, You can get information about that at quarterly.co slash products. Uh, Book Riot is right there on their homepage next to Coco. Yeah. I know we're excited to show this thing off. We're getting yeah, frustrated I, that it's got to I can't stay wait. a secret. The, yeah, the first box ships December 3rd, and after it reaches subscribers, uh, we'll unveil what was in yep. the box, and then we'll start teasing you about what might be in the second <laughs> Yeah, that's right. <laughs> then it'll all start over again. Uh, you can find the show notes for this show and uh, all the previous episodes of the Book Riot podcast at bookriot.com slash podcast. You can see the links, and if you want to look at the Amazon chart. Uh, or find out about the books we talked about on the show, you can find it there. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. Oh, there's something else. There is one thing. If you want to do us a quick solid, there will be a link to a survey in the show notes. forgetting about that. Uh, And if you will just take a couple of minutes to answer some questions about who you are, it will help us to identify the best, most relevant sponsors for the show so we can keep bringing you stuff like Fangasm and Swoon Reads uh, that sponsors the show, that supports us, but that also gives you access and uh, information about something cool and interesting. Great. Well, Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye.